Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. Good afternoon, Team Krulak community, and on behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brew Krulak Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brewcast, our series designed to connect the worlds of the warfighter and PME with the best and innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Ian Brown, Operations Officer at the Krulak Center. So to those of you out there in our audience, you've joined us for past Brewcast discussions on Force Design 2030, Wargaming and Future Concepts, and Talent Management 2030. And now the last piece of the vision laid out in the 2019 Commandant's Planning Guidance has dropped into place. On January 24th, Training and Education 2030 was released, and we're excited to join, to have two Marines from Training and Education Command ready uh, to help us kind of walk through it and dig in deeper into some of the details. Lieutenant Colonel Mark Seville and Major Matthew Morse are gonna talk to us about, among other things, uh, impacts to future force improvements in doctrine, individual training, data sharing, PME, and, uh, and lots of other good materials captured in the document. So our first guest is Lieutenant Colonel Mark Seville, who's a graduate of the School of Advanced Warfighting and currently serves as an operational planner, uh, planner and the strategy and plans branch head within the G5 for Training and Education Command. He has a background as an infantry officer and conducted deployments to Indo-PACOM on the 31st Marine Expeditionary Unit and the Unit Deployment Program, Operation Enduring Freedom, and supported joint and allied training operations as well as crisis and contingency operations as part of Special Purpose Marine Air Ground Task Force Crisis Response Africa. He has also served as an instructor at the Officer Candidate School and the Basics, excuse me, the Basic School, and as Commanding Officer of Recruiting Station Denver. Our second guest today is Major Matthew Morse, who is a member of the Marine Corps Technical PhD program and recently completed his PhD on modeling and simulations at the Naval Postgraduate School. He is currently supporting Training and Education Command's Project Tripoli, which we'll discuss here as well uh, in a couple of seconds, under the PH PhD PT Dynamic Employment Model. He has a background as a logistics officer and modeling and simulations officer with deployments in support of Operation Enduring Freedom and the Marine Rotational Force Darwin. He's also served as modeling simulation officer for Marine Corps Logistics Operations Group and also serves as the MNS officer 8825 occupational field specialist in coordination with the Marine Corps Modeling and Simulation Office. So from those two backgrounds there, we've obviously got a lot of, uh, a lot of professional and fleet expertise uh, bringing to bear on what Training Education 2030 is going to be doing for the Marine Corps under the broader structure of uh, Force Design 2030 and the Commandant's Planning Guidance. So, gentlemen, welcome. Appreciate you. we we welcome the opportunity to be able to you know, host reps from TCOM to give us you know sort of the you know from the horse's mouth what we what's in the document and what we can expect to see. And I'll turn it over sir to you through first to take it away. Awesome. Thank, thanks, Ian, and, and to the team for allowing Ms. Morse and I to have the opportunity to come come by today and to to the wider audience for tuning in. Uh, certainly have been a, a long-time listener of, of this podcast and immensely benefited from the exceptional discussions that have been generated on this platform uh, over the last couple of years. So this center and the podcast has certainly been at the forefront uh, of a wide variety of, of discussions with a wide audience uh, that has provided the opportunity to, to generate a healthy and needed discussion on a number of key topics. So uh, as I, we were preparing to, to come and talk to the group today, reflected on really uh, some key components over the last year of the engagements that, that you and the team have had that I think are a continuation of the discussion that, that we'll have today. So uh, as we go through, depending upon the, the way the discourse and discussion and questions go, I, I think uh, may highlight uh, some of those key events that, that transpired in podcasts that you guys and the team have hosted uh, to, to refer back to. Uh, as we think scope and, and flow and intent, uh, I think 
unique is one of the first opportunities to, to discuss TE2030 uh, with the hopes of increasing awareness and, and most importantly continuing to generate a discussion uh, that's a critical topic that will require continued innovation and, and creative thought and arguably what better place to, to foster that discussion than the Brew Crew Lack Center uh, on this podcast. So uh, from a flow perspective, what, what we discuss basically provide a brief overview uh, of the key aspects of, of training and education 2030, go a little bit deeper and provide an overview from a training and education command uh, perspective in the vision and approach. Uh, and then specifically, at least for Matt and I, to cover some key topics of areas that, that we have focused on uh, since coming to, to training and education command more, more recently. Uh, and then open it up for, for questions. I think uh, Matt would agree with, with me at least. I certainly don't have the answer to all the questions, uh, and, and we are certainly colored by our own experiences, uh, personally and professionally in our, our growth and development, but uh, already know that there's a number of folks that are joining us from the virtual audience mm -hmm. and a number of subject matter experts that are out there uh, that can likely contribute to the dialogue and foster the, the discussion and the debate uh, that, that will transpire for however long we, we go today. Uh, I think important, at least initially, building on the, the brief bios and, and perspective for at least Matt and I, uh, for me personally, coming to TCOM G5 in the last six months, really, in August and earnest, uh, coming out of school, uh, and then having the opportunity to settle into the G5, have, have touched a wide variety of projects. Uh, some of those certainly training and education 2030 related, uh, but I would say specifically uh, Project Trident that we'll get into a, a little bit later is one area that uh, I certainly focused on, and, and we'll turn it over to, to Matt, at least initially, to, to cover some of his, his focus areas. Thanks, sir. Yeah, and uh, so I just graduated, like I said, in September of the PhD program, Model and Simulations. Uh, and as part of that uh, tech PhD program, we have the, the dynamic employment model where we all sit at OAD. We provide some assistance uh, to OAD, myself uh, a lot with uh, the Marine Corps M&S office, but I am sitting at TCOM to help address Project Tripoli to help uh, build this persistent live virtual constructive uh, training environment capability and really get at a lot of the obstacles that uh, I saw as an M&S officer. I've seen a, as an officer in general leveraging uh, our simulation capabilities uh, and uh, just very heartened to see that the, the team that we brought together, uh, a lot of people I've worked with over the years, uh, and, and the way that we're, we're framing this, this problem space and we're getting after what really are just a lot of systemic uh, obstacles that have prevented us from leveraging all of our simulation capabilities, a lot of ones that we've had for a long time uh, in the best way. And so uh, we'll, I'll, I'll get into greater detail on this, but it's, it's across the, the people, the, the processes, the systems, uh, and TCOM providing a lot of leadership uh, going forward on how to how to integrate them rather than just providing tools we're, we're going to actually lead in how to integrate and board them so I, I think initially just kind of providing the overview yeah, uh, from, from a training education 2030 perspective uh, as a recently published document uh, to help at least level set the discussion and provide some framework for, for the dialogue uh, as you rightly highlighted uh, th this is really a continuation of, of general burgers priorities laid out uh, within the commandant's planning guidance uh, beginning principally with force design 2030 going to talent management 2030 and now with a third installment uh, with tra training and education 2030 as we frame the discussion uh, principally focused at least initially on, on the problem statement or, or what we would uh, identify as a problem statement clearly highlighted and, and bolded within te 2030 that the the current training and education system is not preparing the marine corps 
with the knowledge and range of skills required for the future operating environment. So as we continue to, to neck that down and look uh, at the service vision, kind of three bins that, that we've at least identified that we'll hit briefly, talking modernization training and, and the reimagination of training, and then looking at standards writ large. So uh, if we focus on, on modernization and look at the emerging concepts and the mission sets uh, that we will be required to execute now and into the future, uh, it requires new ways to, to train and educate the force ultimately. So a uh, number of examples to include modernization of, of training areas and ranges, uh, talking to the application of, of information age learning tools uh, or the continued application and, and advancement of modern learning and, and student-centered approaches. Uh, from a reimagination of training, uh, certainly Matt has already started to talk to that and creating that globally connected live virtual training environment uh, that enables a realistic training for multi-domain operations. Uh, expanding integrated naval training and education to prepare Marines to, to seamlessly employ and deploy uh, with integrated fires in the naval and joint fight, and then the ability to encourage Marines to accelerate uh, and expand their learning through incentivized skills pro progression uh, that's out there. Lastly, uh, and probably one of the most important elements in standards, uh, there's rigorous and repeatable standards that will continue to form the bedrock uh, and the foundation for, for all training, education, and, and assessments. But uh, those vital sets and repetitions that are critical to increasing combat lethality and ultimately if you, you practice uh, not to get it right but you practice till you can't get it wrong. Being able to hold fast and true to, to our immutable high standards and to continue that legacy building upon uh, the generations of Marines that have come before us understanding and knowing that, that the title Marine is, is always earned uh, and not compromising the, those standards. So I think as we consider the how, there's clearly 37 directed actions and, and 17 issues for, for further analysis. Uh, not going to principally focus on, on those directed tasks or, or areas for, for further analysis, but we'll attempt to hit some of the key points that, that at least exist uh, within tra Training Education 2030 is currently written, and, and you already spoke to some of those, Ian. Uh, certainly doctrine uh, and the update requirements for some of our doctrinal publications uh, to better align with Force Design 2030 and enable that decisive maneuver in, in the future fight uh, will certainly serve as a bedrock from, from which all things build. Uh, as we look to making Marines uh, and that sacred responsibility uh, to consider how we can leverage some key lessons that we've learned uh, through some recent entry-level training efforts, while also balancing that uh, against how we uh, stay true uh, to the time-tested processes and, and procedures that, that are in place uh, to retain those high standards. From, a military occupational specialty perspective in that training, uh, the continued adaptation within our formal learning centers to integrate technology, incentivize that skills progression and evaluate our training management. Uh, for professional military education, certainly here uh, within, within MCU and, and Education Command, key elements continue to increase the, the rigor and relevance of, of professional military education, uh, incentivizing that excellence and something near and dear to your heart, the expansion of, of wargaming uh, as, as something that I know uh, you, you have certainly been a, a large part of. Uh, as we look to service level training exercises, uh, continuing in those critical events to, to incorporate a, a thinking and adaptive adversary into our realistic force-on-force -force training scenarios that replicate that future operating environment will continue to, to remain essential. Also highlights shared data and some of the key points within the document, leveraging learning technologies, uh, consolidating command and control structure uh, as it relates to human performance, certainly investing in, in instructor development, uh, and training to retain our, our exceptional Marines. And, and last, and, and certainly not least, uh, unit level training, where we seek to modernize training systems, those simulations and environments to enable training 
with the modernized capabilities and, and platforms. Ultimately, uh, that, that arrives at the goal or, or the desired end state that, that the Marine Corps training and education ecosystem leverages that technology is data driven and effectively utilizes the resources to develop Marines who are cognitively agile, problem solvers, capable of making bold and consequential decisions in an uncertain environment. Uh, with that, I'll pause if Matt has anything additional to add uh, before we kind of talk uh, some, some TCOM consideration. So the only thing I'll, I'll add to that is is that there's a theme that runs throughout all of these, which is a need across across every one of those, those uh, primary lines of effort, if you will, uh, to make sure we're tying in with Force Design 2030 efforts across the board, across the rest of the Marine Corps, because we need to make sure that we're designing our training environments, designing our education uh, to meet the needs of how we're going to be fighting with these, these future concepts and tasks that we're going to be conducting. Because uh, we, we can't go and design our training environments, build these, uh, these simulations based off of our understanding of how we fought in the past. It has to be relative to how we're going to be fighting in the future. And so TCOM can't do the vacuum. We're, we're really going to have to be integrating and partnering a lot more with, with CD&I and everyone else involved in defining uh, what are those processes, procedures, and standards for how we go forward. So I think as, as we internalize the, the Commandant's vision outline in Training Education 2030, it, it's certainly critical uh, to nest TCOM's vision and, and approach uh, with that guidance. So uh, in discussions, want to at least provide a, an overview uh, of, of what we have termed as TCOM's 522. Uh, I think start, start really with, with TCOM's mission, and excuse me for reading, but just to provide the baseline for, for the group and for the audience and going back to that nesting. So uh, for TCOM's mission to lead the Marine Corps training and education continuum from individual entry-level training, professional military education, and continuous professional development through unit, collective, and service-level training in order to produce warfighters and enhance warfighting organizations that enable the fleet marine forces to build and sustain the combat readiness required to fight and win today and the future. So I think Training Education 2030 certainly provides a framework uh, by which to visualize the current state uh, of where we are and ultimately the desired end state uh, of what we want to achieve. And, and to achieve that desired end state, I think it's necessary uh, for the enterprise to, one, sustain uh, the organization's five foundational tasks that we'll talk to uh, while conducting an iterative and holistic uh, modernization of the training and education continuum aligned to Force Design 2030 uh, to ensure the force is prepared and postured to, to meet the, the requirements of the current and future operating environment. So uh, as we get into that, that 522 approach that, that I alluded to earlier, it really starts with uh, the five pillars or, or the foundational tasks and during missions that, that TCOM does day on, stay on, uh, every single day that, that's out there. It should be a, of no surprise and is certainly nested within Training and Education 2030, uh, that, that first pillar uh, and task, transforming civilians into Marines. Second, uh, providing that initial and advanced military occupational specialty training. Three, providing support to uh, unit level training via home station training. Uh, the execution of our service level training exercises and ultimately uh, where we are in providing PME both across both uh, the officer and enlisted communities and, and those respective continuums. Uh, so those are the underpinnings of the bread rocks. If I, if I look to the framework of a house um, that, that make up our critical and foundational tasks and then uh, transition to the first set of twos, uh, the two change vectors and, and principally those are aligned to our modernization efforts uh, and our force design efforts. We'll speak specifically to, to three projects and we'll allow Matt to talk initially about Project Tripoli. I'll discuss Project Trident and, and Project Triumph. Uh, fall, but over to you, Matt. 
So I'll just be, be brief because I'll be going into this uh, a little bit more depth in, in a minute. But Project Tripoli, really, we're, we're creating a persistent uh, live virtual constructive training environment for all Marines, all domains, all echelons. Uh, and what that really means, uh, if, if you don't know live virtual constructive, uh, so live is real Marines operating real systems. Virtual is real Marines operating simulated systems like, uh, like SAVT, uh, Combat Convoy Simulator. Uh, and then constructive is simulated people operating simulated systems. So that's your, your constructive simulations like MAGTAF tactical warfare simulation. Uh, if you're conducting battle staff training, battalion and above, that's where you're simulating aggregate units uh, in order to populate your real world information systems uh, and even stimulate those virtual simulations. Uh, and so the Marine Corps has done LVC for a long time, but the way we've done it has oftentimes and mostly been these large events where we fly out all the engineers and we bring in through brute force all these different simulation capabilities that we tie together. And those are great training events for large staffs. But what we need to do is start bringing that capability down to the lower levels and we need to make it more persistent at all levels. So that's what we're doing with Project Tripoli is addressing all of the obstacles, all the standards we need to provide, the, the new tools and simulations we need to provide uh, in order to expand access to LVC environments at all of those levels and also enhance what we're able to represent uh, in those LVC training environments as well. So transitioning into the second project with Project Trident uh, is primarily oriented on, on building and expanding naval integration and, and training and education. And the standardization and, and how the Navy and Marine Corps team trains for maritime fires and effects will, will provide each of the service with a measurable training benchmark for how to fight alongside one another. Uh, Trident also uh, will expand the number of training opportunities for Marines and sailors have uh, together working and increase our understanding of service integrated fighting concepts and, and how to employ them effectively. Uh, and then the third third project, Project Triumph, uh, which we won't get into too greater detail today, but for setting setting conditions for a larger part of the discussion uh, is, is the overarching Marine Corps concept for, for student-centered learning uh, technical upgrades within the classrooms and, and asynchronous learning. Uh, it represents an acknowledgement that every Marine learns differently uh, and at different speeds compared to their peers. And, and underpinning this effort is a learning model that embraces learning through experience, uh, discussion, and decisive decision making instead of often an industrial age learning model relying upon memorization. Uh, so as we have our first five, our, our first two uh, and then getting into the, the last two for our guiding principles uh, are really uh, principles that help guide both uh, the, the foundational tasks and, and then those change vectors uh, and those two guiding principles are rigorous and repeatable standards uh, and combat lethality. Uh, so understanding the critical nature of uh, having the, the vital sets and repetitions necessary to, to increase combat lethality uh, interlaced and interwoven uh, throughout the first five and, and the two. So it's with that understanding uh, of the 522 framework uh, that will provide a little bit more detailed look and, and turn it back over to, to Matt to, to go into a little bit greater detail uh, on Project Tripoli. So uh, when we talk about LVC, Live Virtual Constructive Train Environments, uh, like I said, these are, these are conducted across the, across the Marine Corps. Uh, they're battle simulation centers, your, your TSCs, uh, different schoolhouses, and uh, especially McDog, McLog. Uh, and uh, MSTP, Th these are some of the leaders in, in employing and providing uh, these capabilities and integrating these simulations. And so what we're looking to provide to those, those different schoolhouses and all training officers across the Marine Corps uh, is this combination of the new systems, the new simulations, uh, and the guidance and uh, 
guidelines for how to integrate and, and employ those, those tools. Uh, and so when you talk about systems, we're not just going and building all new simulations. We are definitely doing that. We have new virtual and augmented reality simulations that we're, we're deploying out there with a JTAC virtual uh, trainer and the Warfighter augmented reality. But one way we're getting at fielding, uh, deploying a, a quicker capability is better leveraging existing simulations. Uh, and there are, there's a whole slew of simulations that we've had available to us and we have used uh, across the Marine Corps in different degrees that are available from the Joint Force. Uh, and that is Joint Deployment Logistics Model, uh, JCATS, JSAF, which is the Navy's primary constructive simulation, AFSIM, which is the Air Force's simulation. And each one of these simulations has different strengths and weaknesses, uh, which makes sense coming from the different communities or services that are providing them. Uh, and so one thing we are doing in order to rapidly improve some of our training capabilities is overcome those obstacles to federating the simulations. Uh, and so uh, I'll go a little bit in the details here. Federating is a term that is often misused and it's something that the Marine Corps we haven't really done uh, because we haven't addressed what are these, the, the infrastructure that we need in terms of the systems, the processes, uh, and the knowledge in order to federate simulations. That's a, that's a particular way of integrating your sims that allows you to have more functionality where you can use one sim for certain strengths, use another sim for other strengths, and then pass entities between them uh, in one continuous environment. And so by going down this path and, and building federations and still using other, other protocols uh, where we don't really need federations, we're just going to be increasing the, the tool set available uh, to all those simulations professionals. We'll be decreasing the time that it takes them to build and execute these environments. Uh, and that'll make it available, much more available and persistent to all, all Marines. Uh, because currently if you go and you ask for a training evolution, you wanna have multiple simulation capabilities. There's a lot of time that goes into making sure that uh, the parametric data, the data that inside of each of the sims, uh, the, the data tagging for the different types of entities is aligned between all the different simulations. That's a lot of manpower um, that delays the time for actually fielding that capability. And so one thing that TCOM can do is take leadership uh, in defining standards and actually putting manpower towards implementing those standards ourselves, uh, getting the workforce that can maintain them and maintain databases uh, of terrain models and 3D models that are available for, for all Marines and all training organizations. So by doing this, we're, we're really expanding the scope of how we use these simulations uh, and increasing the number of sims that are available to everybody. One way that we have to get after this is really a transition away from a platform-centric focus uh, to a functional focus. Uh, it's looking at not just how, do, how am I managing uh, SAVT, MTWAS, Combat Convoy Simulator, but having someone who's covering down on terrain databases for all simulations, all 3D models, parametric data, and authoritative data sources. And by doing that, not only do we build our capabilities, we also open the door for greater integration with the Joint Force and greater integration across other efforts across the Marine Corps. Uh, and so talking to the Marine Corps side, we have the MCWAC, the Marine Corps War Game and Analysis Center, where a lot of the problems that we need to address, functional areas that we need to, to address to create this persistent LVC environment are also areas that McWack needs to address. That includes things like SimC2 integration, 
taking your simulation ground truth data and populating your real world uh, C2 systems and other information systems so that you're training people and conducting war games where decision makers are using their actual information system. And that gets at things like protocol standardization. It also gets at bringing on new technology uh, like robotic process automation where it automates the actual interactions with the graphic user interface. Uh, and those are, those are capabilities I'm personally very excited about, particularly with RPA, because that's what my dissertation was in. And I know this is a capability we can use. It's commercial off the shelf uh, in a variety of different vendors that we can automate how are we populating all of these different operational information systems and bring in many more staff members and, and functional areas uh, or warfighting functions uh, to actually be represented in these staff training and, and other training environments. Uh, and then getting at the joint force, just attended the uh, joint tactical or joint training synthetic environment uh, working group, JITSI, with the joint staff J7 last week. And across the joint force and with the J7 themselves, there's a lot of effort getting at all of these function areas. So with organizing ourselves in this way, uh, we are enabling ourselves to better integrate with them and position ourselves to better bring on these joint staff and uh, joint force tools, simulations and other simulation tools and also better influence making sure that those tools are meeting our requirements uh, to support the Marine Corps. Now, I'll wrap it up just, uh, again, providing a little bit more detail as it relates to, to Project Trident. Again, focused uh, principally naval training and education integration with a heavy emphasis uh, on the training and education required to, to integrate uh, combined joint uh, naval kill webs. So uh, looking back at the, the 2020 advantage at sea, uh, stating that the, the Naval Service is seeking to develop an integrated all-domain naval force through training and education, capabilities and networks, plans, exercise, experiments, analysis and wargaming, investments in innovation and force design. The training and education is clearly identified as a critical component in achieving that desired intent. Uh, and it's the team's contention that training and education must inform it and be informed by uh, the other methods indicated in, in this guidance. So, uh, ultimately, uh, it's not just the technology, but, but the individuals who form the teams that constitute the critical ingredients uh, to fight and win as part of a, a naval force, uh, as part of a joint force, and as part of a combined force. So uh, to train and educate integrated all-domain naval forces as a cohesive team, uh, it's necessary, again, to, to possess those rigorous or repeatable standards uh, that increase combat lethality. So as we look to uh, enabling combat readiness of warfighting organizations by enhancing naval training and education to support the integration and closure of those combined joint and naval kill webs. It, it's not solely achieved either uh, through a single program of instruction or the creation uh, of a single course, but a holistic look at the totality of the training and education continuum uh, and looking at it from yellow footprints through a, a Marine's entire career uh, of how do you professionally grow, develop, uh, that, that individual to be capable uh, of operating within the Envision current and, and future operating environments. Certainly what, what Matt spoke to uh, with Project Tripoli and the live virtual constructive training environment is a critical component uh, of this effort and mutually supports uh, what we are seeking to achieve with, with Project Trident. Uh, because of the complexity uh, that Matt Riley highlighted of developing and, and executing training uh, to prepare the force to, to fight uh, in the envisioned environment. And then simultaneously, Triumph, as outlined before, uh, mutually supports this effort by defining uh, those rigorous and repeatable standards, as well as the enabling development of the cognitive decision-making uh, abilities of the force writ large. So 
Uh, I think from there, tracing back to the flow, uh, general overview of, of training and education 2030, uh, some, some TEPCOM vision and approach and, and implications and considerations, and then a deep dive at least into two of the projects uh, within those change vectors. So with that, we'll, we'll probably pause and, and turn it over and to you or to, to the audience for, for questions. Great. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you both for, for laying that all out. And we do have some questions already starting to come in here, but uh, I want to tee up a couple here that we got sort of from internal uh, collection before we go there. Like I said, like a lot of stuff, it sounds very exciting. And it, for me as a former Ford Air Controller, the JTAC virtual trainer, it sounds like it's probably a lot of fun and a much better virtual training experience than uh, what I went through a long, long time ago. Uh, on the Trident, starting with the Project Trident and the Trident service strategy, you know, I know obviously like U.S. Marine Corps and U.S. Navy, big partners, right? That's a, that's a big picture of it. Is the Coast Guard getting pulled into how Project Trident is going to go? Because they were, you know, they're that third service in the strategy. And, uh, you know, they, they, they operate in sort of that, that day-to-day competition spectrum, sure. right? Um, so how, is, how are they going to play into uh, the Project Trident piece? Sure, absolutely. And I think initially over the last six months worth of work, it, a wide variety of forums and a wide variety of groups and organizations uh, across the, the Naval Service that, that are seeking uh, to, to figure out the way forward, especially as it relates to training and education. So I think for us, at least uh, in our efforts thus far, some, some key partners and forums that we've found uh, via the Maritime Working Group uh, and the Naval Board, uh, the Naval Education Training Task Force, uh, as well as things like the, the Fleet Training Integration Program are three critical areas that, that where we've initially started and certainly acknowledging the need uh, as we expand the scope of, of Trident, uh, that the Coast Guard is a critical partner as part of that tri-service naval strategy uh, collectively for us, and, and as Ian, you rightly highlight, are, are in it uh, day in and, and day out. So that is an area that is aspirational at this point as we continue to move forward in integrating one with the Navy, the Joint Force, our combined partners, as well as is with our brothers and sisters in, in the Coast Guard. Uh, so I'll just say that this, this relationship between Trident and uh, Tripoli is, is really key for making sure that we are informing our own efforts in building the simulation environment. So as we un better understand how exactly do we tie in with the Navy, with the future concepts we're, we're pursuing, how do we tie in with the Coast Guard, that informs not only our prioritization, but also the very design of the simulation support training environments that we create to make sure we're representing them appropriately we're, when we're training people to the right tasks. I think to that point, just to, to close out, the unique relationships that do exist. So as we look from a training and education lens, we can also look to our partners in the operating forces in the fleets and within the fleet marine force and, and a significant number of effort and work at, at the Componency level and certainly at the MEF and at the number of fleet level, uh, both with Navy partners but also with the Coast Guard. So you can see tri service strategies and, and memory, memorandums of agreement uh, out there with the fleet seeking to replicate some of those key lessons learned as we've been in, been in and exploring that, that space. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, uh, another question we had from uh, Inside MC here was asking about the, the application of training education 2030 to the civilian workforce. In, some of the other force design documents, there was a, there were certain focus pieces that were broken out there. What is the, um, what is the focus group gonna, or the focus going to be for the civilians who are going to be impacted? Because as you said, some of those exercises, for example, take like a ton of civilian support to, to yes. build those out and sure. then execute them. Yeah, I think both Matt and I probably have, have comments too. I'll, I'll at least probably start of, 
at the end of the day, one, one team, one fight, and it's a whole for, force effort when, when we look at it amongst uh, uniformed Marines, uh, our, our civilians, and then the contract workforce as well. It, totality of the effort when you look across uh, the TCOM enterprise and, and the service writ, writ large. And uh, to the points made before, training and education 2030 is a continuation of force design and talent management that speaks to, to the importance of that. Uh, I think as we look principally at instructors, faculty, staff, uh, and, and the cadres, uh, most everywhere you go across the enterprise, we're identifying those individuals as a center of gravity. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's a reality uh, that we see, uh, and there are several directed actions within Training and Education 2030 that, that highlights uh, the need for that professional growth and that professional development of, of those key uh, center of gravity members for, for us. I think personally, from, from my own experience uh, as well, uh, that civilian workforce has been uh, a critical component of me and my professional growth and, and development. If that was my time at, at the basic school and those engagements that I just had with, with that same individual that I had working there uh, this past week, talking about the efforts that he's had and focused in that key area, uh, we can see that across the board as we go down to, to the operational force units and the training support centers that, that Matt highlighted uh, that provide critical enabling support. And then all the things you don't see. Uh, when we talk curriculum development and, and, and the administrative and the policy requirements that are necessary to keep the train uh, on the tracks collectively. So uh, I go back to the, the one team, one fight, uh, whole force effort uh, to, to achieve the objectives outlined, certainly within training education 30 and, and then within training education command. Yeah, and you make a great point about the, the number of uh, civilians that are a part of building all of those exercises because we have uh, give or take 16 modeling simulation officers supporting the Marine Corps at any given time. Uh, we rotate out every three years. And so really most of the expertise, the manpower, uh, and certainly the continuity comes from those uh, GSs and contractors uh, at every one of those different training organizations. And so everything we're saying in here with, uh, with TE2030 is, is providing that support, that, that guidance, uh, and uh, I'll reiterate support to them uh, because all these standards and uh, and tools that we're going to be providing them in repositories is going to be helping them get away from being a one-man shop or two-man shop uh, along with a, an 8825 who just came on last year to build out these exercises. So we're actually helping to enable them uh, to, to do what they've been trying to do and have been doing a good job of for the last several years or for decades, many of them. But um, th there's, there's a, a better way to do this uh, that, that needs us to actually facilitate uh, actually applying knowledge management. And, and providing some standards. All right, great, thank you both. In that knowledge management piece, actually, I'm gonna start going into the questions in the chat here, and Matt, this might be um, more in your lane initially, because I'll be honest, I don't understand what half the terms in this question are, so I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping you do. Uh, but this is from one of our, one of the CEO folks who's on the line here asking, how much do you see X API statement generation and learning record store capability, communication capability playing into the live virtual constructive tools that are out there? One of the problems, one of the issues that we have, uh, we have to address when we talk about uh, assigning simulations to TNRs, I'll say, is uh, identifying what exactly are performance measures. Performance measures really can, can capture many things and, and takes it beyond just saying, is this accomplished, is it not accomplished? Uh, and it gets at what are the cues that the user needs to receive, what are, what are the actions that they need to take, and what's the feedback they need to be receiving. That's how you really develop uh, their understanding. That's how you actually train someone and, and educate them on the task that they're trying to, to fulfill and help them grow and, and improve. So 
I think that that's one area that, that I'll say that we need to take a hard look at uh, when we start talking about how we're going to capture their performance data is for every single LVC environment, every single uh, train environment period, you need to have a good solid understanding of what are the performance measures and then what are the performance measurement tools that you can use given the different uh, LVC or, or simulation supported constructs or environments to, to get at the, the documentation and the appropriate feedback to developing uh, expertise in those areas. So that this is one I, I'm looking forward to engaging with the other sides uh, within TCOM because I know mm -hmm. with, with Project Triumph that's something they're, they're probably going to be getting after. Uh, next question coming from one of our, our faculty members here asking um, if thoughts or uh, um, some input on what TCOM envisions in terms of applying more rigor to, to specifically officer PME and specifically he's asking about expeditionary warfare school and command staff college. So I think uh, taking a stab at it in this from a, a personal perspective more, more so than anything, as we look uh, collectively across both training and education, I, I think sometimes we get into the binary sense of it's training or it's education mm -hmm. and there's a clear distinguishing line and a, and a difference. So as we look at it, if it's the officer uh, PME continuum over time, how are we progressively building in, in the rigorous nature uh, of what that, what that looks like based on what we're seeing in the emerging concept. So I think we'll go back to uh, the, the changes that we're seeing from a, from a threat perspective, uh, the operating environment and what has changed within that operating environment at a very rapid rate and a very rapid level, at least from a Project Trident perspective if we talk C5 ISRT, if we talk all domain combined arms, uh, there, there are rapid changes uh, that, that we within uh, the operating forces, those, those in the training and education command space, we have to look at the totality of, of the continuum, uh, especially as it relates to, to officers. So uh, my experience at, at EWS in, in a residency may need to change uh, from what we had previously seen in order to account uh, for those changes within, within the operating environment. Good. Okay. I'll, I'll take that answer. All right, great. Thank you. All right, next question. This kind of actually goes back to the civilian workforce from a um, slightly different angle. And the question is whether this is a, you mentioned aspirational, sir, but it's also, it's not just aspirational. There's a lot of very broad-ranging um, lines of effort here across training education spectrum. And as with any attempts to change, sometimes there can be, you know, resistance or pushback because that's the way we've always done it, right? It was, it was good enough. What are... It, has there been any sense that there's there's resistance to these things coming down for the you know for the people who've been doing things a certain way for a long time, or has there been a, you know more of an embrace like hey we recognize that that uh, this is going to make it better and let's go out and do it. Yeah, so I would say at least initially, Matt can can jump on this certainly with something like like Tripoli, but from from my perspective, from the the start of, with the CPG and really beyond before that. Uh, continue on to force design and talent management, the energy behind the system that, that's in there. That there's uh, elements uh, contained within training and education 2030 that, that we're already doing uh, as an institution, as an organization. You guys are a prime example uh, of what has been transpiring. If it's wargaming, if it's fostering innovative and creative thought just within the Crew Lack Center, uh, the efforts within MCU, if it's the wargaming clouds, uh, th there are efforts that are ongoing. Uh, and that, that energy is, is there. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's being able to take a, a hard look at, as we look at the guidance uh, provided, as we look at the, the vision and, and the approach, uh, continue and energize that, that system because uh, the, the speed of change needs to happen. Uh, and those are the, the components and the discussions that we're having collaboratively uh, amongst the groups. But I'll, I'll let Matt jump in to, to add any additional thoughts. 
Yeah, I, I haven't really seen any, any pushback. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Joe Lomagino, who kind of has been spearheading the Project Tripoli for, for a while, uh, or from inception, he, he did a good job of pulling together the whole community, especially with the kickoff that happened uh, last, last May, I think it was. Um, so bringing everybody together, getting their input, and then we've continued to, to try and make sure we're always reaching out, including uh, ITSIC just in December and since then, bringing in the, the M&S representatives for the different training organizations every time we're, we're having a big meeting to talk through all of where we're going. And I think one way that we, we get around some of that problem of, of pushback that we might expect to encounter uh, would be not, we're not just directing. We're, we're not just saying this is what you're going to do. We are saying here are the tools, here are the standards, the processes, procedures to get at doing things that we've been wanting to do as a community for a long time. Uh, and just talking about the knowledge management uh, capability on its own, that's something that uh, in the MS community for, for training, uh, we've been talking for decades uh, about the need for having a knowledge management tool so that we can stop doing proof of concept over and over again, so that we can share uh, simulation architectures so that we can reuse all the tools and capabilities across all the different training organizations. And so I, I think by taking that, we are here to help and actually facilitate rather than just direct and leave you to it, uh, I think that's gonna change uh, any, any sort of concern about pushback. I think I might add to you know, what you have done uh, on the podcast and some of the speeds that you've had on, on the show. So uh, if we look at things that we're doing or things that are changing, so uh, Lieutenant Colonel Brian Kirk and, and Tyler Quinn coming out, uh, speaking about unclassified wargaming efforts that, that they partook in here in PME. Uh, if you go back to Lieutenant Colonel Andy Hornfeck and Jesse Knight talking about MLRT that's in execution this month uh, with 3rd MLR and MAGTAF TC uh, in the desert on the west coast of, yeah. of California uh, in execution. So uh, if that's Advanced Marksmanship Training Program with Colonel Jones coming out from Weathersfield Training Battalion, it, in the last six months, uh, this platform has, has showcased the fact that the organization is moving out uh, with and in line and in step with, with the guidance. So uh, I, I think we're already seeing it happen uh, and we're continuing to evolve and grow uh, as an organization, it, it just needs to continue to have that energy in the in the discourse. I know uh, informing Trident, I go back to papers written at EWS, going back to the previous comment, written at Command of Staff, written at SAW, written at, at TLS, uh, go out to NPS uh, and, and starting to pull some of those thesis papers and works. That that has certainly been hugely beneficial uh, for me in contributing to, to the discussion. Uh, so Seville's perspective that the energy is there uh, and there's hundreds if not thousands of people already moving out in the guidance and continuing to push so uh, just some additional thoughts yeah no thank you sir and I'll, i'm glad you brought up the wargaming cloud because you know obviously that was a very uh, a big project that's been built out over a couple of years and now it's operational and uh and you know but in terms of not just directing but providing the tools you know the cloud got built and then there, there's been guidance here for you know really since the colonized planning guidance came out of thou shalt do more wargaming like that was pretty clear in the guidance and so you know ACOM started building the plan but you need the tools so that that cloud has become um, a very highly uh, highly used tool we've been I've been seeing it in more of the schools and the courses so that they're getting plugged into you know what you know tabletop or paper exercise used to be and I'll say right now you know with Mr. Barrick has put together our wargaming director a um, a tool era or a tournament to help sort of do some beta testing on like how much volume can the cloud handle at one time and a lot of the teams that are in this tournament are, are you know the civilian faculty and staff over at the schools sure. and I'll say from after the first round they're 
they're they're in there putting up uh, quite a fight. Sure. Uh, we've had some, I've had some personally very uh, very sad losses on some of those scenarios. But you know, they got the tool, and not only have they tried it, you know, they're they're deep into learning how it works and how they can make it work for them. Yeah, and I, I think, and, and Matt and I had a conversation earlier that builds on that exact comment is not only what's transpiring that's helping that individual within their respective time within PME, but the exposure to those types of capabilities that as they go back to the operating forces, the ability to infuse that within their subordinates to be knowledgeable that these types of capabilities do exist and how can I take those lessons that I learned within PME through Wargaming and the other efforts that are ongoing to be able to integrate that in, into your own professional military education programs with the units, taking Wargaming, applying that to uh, co-comparison and, and decision, and how can I take some of those skills that are there. So again, sets sets and reps uh, when we talk about rigorous, repeatable standards, but the decision-making aspect and, and ultimately that desired end state uh, goal and objective laid out within TE2030 certainly reinforced through those efforts. Yes, and I think, you know, the cloud is one example of that thing you take with you. Like, I'm sad I'm probably not going to be around the Marine Corps long enough to really see it get out across the fleet, but it is this thing. You just need a, a device and a connection, and you'll be able to tap into, you know, the, the richness that's in there and use it for all of those things you mentioned, sir. All right, I'll, I'll go back to the chat here, another question, and this is specifically about cybersecurity training and uh, asking whether the training is not always necessarily sort of kept up to date to the, to the threat and the challenges out there. So. Is there anything um, specifically on the cybersecurity uh, training side that's being done to, to, you know, to bring it up to the threats in the environment we face today? So I'll, I'll say that this is a big topic of conversation, including at the Jitsi Working Group, is all the services talking about what are what are all the different tools that exist out there, cyber ranges and and otherwise, uh, to facilitate getting at that. And and there's a lot of folks on this, and there are. Really, I've been into two different types of, of training. One is cyber for cyber, uh, for the cyber warriors, their cyber ranges, make sure we're representing for them all the threats and, and, and actions they need to be able to take in order to counter those threats. And then there's cyber for others, uh, which is understanding how exactly are those threats going to manifest uh, in your actual information systems, uh, information systems, C2 systems, and how do you counter and then how do you engage with those cyber operators. So those are two areas that, that we're getting after needing to make sure that not only do the cyber guys have everything they need, but how do we better represent uh, all those effects in, in other training environments? And uh, that, that's definitely a big focus of effort for us. I would say just certainly not, not within my complete scope or, or wheelhouse at the end of the day, but uh, going back to the training aspect of that, but also the doctrinal aspect of that. So uh, as you look, I think in task three of TE 2030, uh, there's the ability to, to provide feedback on the prioritization as it relates to doctrine, if that's your MCDPs, WPs, TPs, and, and IPs. Uh, but there's also an element of those TNR standards that, that are there and constantly evolving and, and changing and being able to keep pace uh, that, that is specifically lined out within the guide. And so I think acknowledges uh, the, the speed by which uh, things change and our ability to, to surge capacity. Uh, Proto-doctrine is identified within the doc document as well uh, to be able to ensure that uh, we're not falling behind in some of those key capabilities. Again, not uh, deep in my scope in, mm -hmm. in the cyberspace, but from a, a little bit uh, larger zoom out. All right, thank you, sir. Uh, so speaking of doctrine, um, one of the things that Training Education 2030 lays out is highlighting how TCOM is the, the lead for doctrinal development for the Marine Corps. And you sort of just mentioned it um, a little while ago, sir, about how going back and looking at student papers and, and theses and stuff like that has helped inform some of the future outlook uh, for training education. 
So can, can Education Command potentially, is there an opportunity for a greater role for, you know, the work already being done, you mentioned the papers, you know, stuff like Lieutenant Colonel Kirk and Major Quinn doing in the Young Class War Game and sharing that in, in feeding some more of that stuff back into the development of the future doctrine that's going to be needed to execute this. Sure, I, and I think reinforces the, the points made before, at least personally for me, of being able to rely upon that, that research. My, my contention is that uh, Education Command and MCU is, is already influencing uh, and playing a role in, in doctrinal development. So uh, formally and informally are, are kind of two, two separate and distinct pieces in there. I've shared my personal experience of how that has helped me at least widen my aperture and my considerations for, for thinking, uh, relying upon those. I think something we can do a better job and, and certainly through this means, but uh, also taking things like Training Education 20, taking uh, Command General TCOM's guidance, incorporating that into uh, things that Marine Corps University or NPS, if it's uh, research calls for study. Uh, so every academic year, uh, are we refreshing that based on the guidance that we're receiving so we can have that iterative discussion and feedback and enlist the support uh, of those students going through school? I know at least the two papers that I've written in resident school, uh, both at EWS and here at SAW, directly related to training and education topics. Uh, there's a wide variety of, of topics that are out there leveraging the capabilities at, at, at places like MPS uh, and being able to look at those things. So for me, uh, if we're seeking a more active role where a student is directly engaged in the writing of doctrine, I think that's slightly different. I, I have to rely back on my own experience this last year. Um, on top of my course load, I probably wasn't touching uh, the writing of doctrine. That's probably just in, in, in my own shortfall in, in professional capabilities, uh, but I believe it's there. We can do things to foster a greater discussion uh, on certain platforms, information sharing that, that ties to it, uh, to answer the question, I think. And, and I'll just reiterate on, on the Naval Postgraduate School piece. I know that the students out there are, are hungry for guidance uh, and assistance in identifying what are relevant topics, because everybody, most everybody at, at MPS has to do a, a thesis uh, or a dissertation. And uh, I know my first time through, trying to find that good thesis topic that would be relevant and actually help the Marine Corps and also enable me to better employ what I learned when I get back to the fleet uh, was definitely something I wanted, uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't as prepared to actually research something relevant until I returned again for the dissertation time and I was able to get out a problem. I understood very well on SIMC2 interoperability. So right now is, is the time for uh, Naval Research Working Group input. Uh, I think we have another uh, month, month and a half or so until uh, that NERWIG is going to happen. And that's where Naval Postgraduate School takes all of these requests for research and presents them to the students and the professors and says, here you go, here are the relevant topics that need to be addressed. So that, that's definitely a tool that we need to be using that uh, at TCOM, we're, we're very much looking forward to using that, especially on my side for the modeling and simulations officers to help us not only get at some hard problems, but also make sure that in that six months, nine months, a year of their life that they are going in a deep dive into a topic, that it is a very important topic for the Marine Corps and for them professionally. I think just to add one last point to it, you get that connecting file uh, through that a process similar to that where you're able to facilitate and provide those research questions and opportunities at the various locations. You then tie that back to a Matt Morris that's directly involved in the process and the subject matter experts that are there, or if it's a Trident-related topic, can provide some context and background to support the discussion. Again, meaningful, informed, and, and drilling down into areas that we're focusing on that may offer a different approach. Or All right. Thanks, sir. 
So we'll do one more question here in the chat, and then we'll wrap it up because we're hitting about an hour mark here. So uh, question ties actually back to a previous brewcast, and I think he's referring to the one about the advanced marksmanship training program where um, Colonel Jones had noted, like, the, the people who went through, you know, they felt like it was a really, like, their skills were better, right? Like, it was value-added, and it made them, um, you know, better in that particular realm of what they were supposed to do for professional marksmanship. So for some of the, those other things um, you both mentioned that are sort of already in place and moving forward, have you, have you gotten feedback that this is, this is making what used to be good better? You know, are people feeling more competent or confident in their capabilities after going through a new POI, you know, compared to what the previous iteration used to be? Sure. Uh, so I think uh, anecdotally, the, a number of op options that, that are out there, ones that, that come to mind specifically highlighted within TA 2030 is uh, the, the infantry marine course uh, and the key lessons that we're learning there and how to potentially uh, apply those across the entry level training uh, pipeline. Uh, that, that is certainly one AMTP and, and the efforts uh, that are ongoing, Weapons Field Training Battalion and, and those teams. I think the iterative process that we're seeing of how can that be more universally uh, applied, Comelec School undergoing similar uh, proofs of concept or pilot courses uh, that, that are continuing to evolve and, and push the ball forward. So I would say those feedback loops uh, internally within the TCOM enterprise, but I think uh, within TA2030, it also highlights the feedback loop coming back from the fleet uh, back into those individual schools, back to, to PME institutions of uh, are we providing what it is you need? Because there's always a natural tension uh, that is going to exist between the fleet marine forces and back to the institutional supporting establishment in places like Training and Education Command. But that dialogue uh, needs to continue to, to develop, and I think the partnerships Building, developing, sustaining uh, are critical to, to inform that, especially as we consider the ecosystem and the training and education continuum in its totality, not silos of excellence uh, that we're very good at doing uh, niche individual things within our re respective commands within that training and education continuum, uh, but looking at it holistically. And that requires talk, crosstalk internally within the organization, within Training and Education Command, amongst our, the, the DCs and the other partners within the institutional supporting establishment, and then, and then within the fleet. So tentacles everywhere uh, as we look to assessments specifically, and, and certainly highlighted very much in, in Training and Education 2030 of how do we improve that process, data-driven, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, uh, and a whole host of other places, both formally and informally, uh, to include, inc improve that feedback loop, make well-resourced informed decisions. So, uh, when it comes to actually seeing the return on the investment, return on the effort, um, we're still pretty early days, but we do have uh, a bunch of those those specific capabilities like JVT, like WAR, uh, that, that we've had prototypes out there that get a lot of positive feedback on them. Uh, when it comes to the actual LVC of tying all those capabilities together uh, in the next few months uh, in 2TAC and then 4TAC23, we're going to have more demonstration of those capabilities and we'll be getting more feedback at those times. One thing I, I'd reiterate is, is we need to keep focus on not just what are these capabilities we're fielding right now and how well do they work in those instances, but make sure we're staying aware on what is the effort, what are the processes, procedures that go into creating those LVC events so we don't do what we've done in the past, which is focus on a, a large-scale exercise, create a great capability, but it's not uh, repeatable. And so that's something we are really focusing on is make sure these capabilities that we're fielding, we're, we're making sure we do it in a rigorous way to create a repeatable, persistent capability. All right, great. Thank you both. And so uh, that brings us right up to about an hour here. So I think we had a great wide-ranging discussion. Any final thoughts or comments either one of you would like to share? 
No, uh, again, I just say thanks for, for the opportunity and the time. Uh, hopefully, a, a continuation of this discussion that we'll continue to see in a, in a wide variety of forms. I think specific to the Krulak Center here at MCU, being, being present here today, that continued dialogue and discussion is critical, as we highlighted, in taking advantage of the opportunity and the time to, to review, read documents like Training and Education 2030. And as we look to the future academic years, uh, how do we incorporate and continue that discussion to where we can uh, continue uh, to advance the, the concepts and ideas that are here. But uh, appreciate you and the team's work uh, certainly advancing this uh, ahead of a lot of, a lot of groups. Uh, I'll just say on, on the Tripoli side, I think I said this once or twice, but there are a lot of areas for us to, to have mutually supporting efforts, uh, especially to start talking about the war gaming, the parametric data, conceptual models, everything that you have going into those war games, uh, the SimC2 interoperability. There are so many opportunities for us to partner uh, and integrate those efforts. And so really look forward to engaging more with MCU as well as OAD McWill uh, to make sure that we're, we're using and taking advantage of those. Great, thank you. And yeah, as you said, sort of like uh, we were talking about this, I think a little before we started recording, but it's been, you know, on our side, it's great to have, you know, have access to the planners who are helping sort of build these larger concepts, but it's also been good to have these opportunities like talking to the, you know, talking to McTogg about how, you know, how do these higher level stuff, like how does it actually impact you know, the bulk of the Marines are going through their their day-to-day -day training, you know, preparation for deployment, um, improving personal unit skills, things like that. And it's been definitely great to have access to people to, who can show us, yeah, this isn't just like, you know, words on a paper. There is change happening in lots of different areas across the fleet. So when we say, you know, we're moving forward in the 21st century, like it's not just words, like it's happening in, in lots of different places. So this is just a, another iteration of that being able to show, you know, it's it's not only here like it's been here for a little bit while depending on which part of the the pie that you touch here sure. all right so general thank you both very much for your time coming down here look forward to getting this one out to our our wider audience out there to the virtual audience thanks for joining us again today promise we're not going to be doing three episodes a week next week <laughs> we'll uh, we'll reel it back in a little bit but we do hope you join us next week because we'll be advertising here in the next couple of days next brewcast we're going to have a chance to talk to uh, several marines we're going to have a panel from the combat art program and um, one or two of the folks have already had touch points with the Gulag Center if you pass projects. But uh, we'll get a chance to see, you know, what, what do they do? How do they capture, uh, you know, the things that the Marine Corps is doing or has done via the Combat Art Program? So um, be, uh, that'll be next Thursday, so, but uh, make sure you're following us so that you can get the registration information. All right, gentlemen, again, thank you very much. Appreciate thank it. You. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. As always, we depend on support and feedback from the Team Crew Lack community to constantly improve our offerings and reach a wider audience. So if you have feedback on this episode, please take a moment to fill out the survey linked in the show notes to help us do better. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and subscribe to our channel on YouTube or leave us a review on the podcast app of your choice. It truly does help us reach a wider audience. Thank you as always for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.